0: Good morning. Welcome visitors with us. Welcome today. Um, we're going to continue in our study of the Book of Mark. So, those that have been in the Book of Mark, hopefully, it just kind of just falls open there. We're in thirteen, Mark, chapter thirteen. You want to turn there in your scriptures. We're going to be at verse fourteen. So, Mark thirteen. While you're getting there, we have a picture. I did get it in from last week. I had one turned in from Madeline. So, uh, Madeline 1, she's got a picture now. It's kind of hard for you to read, but we were with Jesus on the Mount of Olives looking back at the Jerusalem. And she's got in here on the one side, he says, truly I say to you, these olives taste good. That's what you have in there, right? So, Mount of Olives, she picked up on that, so it's good. Uh, And then the other side says um, something like, um, oh, I, I pray that you will not fall asleep, something like that. So, Anyway, she caught it in Mark 13, so, so thanks. Thank you, kids, for turning them in. Kids, if I'm busy talking to someone, just slip them right in my hand, put your name on them, and we'll try to pick your name out for, for doing that. But I'm glad you're, you're with us and you're paying attention. And you might have some interesting images from what we're going to study today to draw uh, adults as well. So well, let's read God's Word. Let's start with that. And I'll read verse 14 through 23. Do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. Let's pray again. Lord, we just look to you again as we dive into your word, into some challenging waters, Lord. Phrases like abomination, desolation, tribulation elect lord all these things father we just pray that you would work in this time that we have our time together work in each heart work in my heart lord challenge me where i need it where our people need it and uh lord guide us to look on you again and see your your gracious hand your gracious warning your gracious uh election lord for those who believe so um Guide our time, Lord, for your glory. May you be exalted. We pray you'd be lifted high through what we study here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to give you kind of a, a fictional scenario for you to consider. Today, many of us check the weather. I don't know how often you check the weather. Maybe not as often as some. But let's say today if the weatherman gave a super accurate forecast for the rest of the day. And I said it's a fictional scenario. But... Go with it, okay? Um, You knew that he was 100, just imagine with me. He's 100% right every time. And today, he is forecasting a whopper of a storm. Storm's coming. Let's say he's even zeroed in his Doppler 9000XL radar on your exact location where you live. So this is like a personal forecast. Um, He says something like this. In our daily forecast, you, at your exact location, you're going to experience a major storm. He's got it narrowed down. He says the winds are going to blow at 80 miles an hour. So that one tree that's overhanging your house, somehow the weatherman knows this, it's going to fall down. Uh, That trampoline, which is loose in your backyard, it will blow away this afternoon. Uh, Shingles, you got bad shingles on there, those poor ones, you remember those on the left side of the house? They're going to blow away. That car that you've had parked outside, there is hail coming. It's like the size of a golf ball, and it's going to hit your car. Other than that, expect a rather pleasant evening. Charlie, back to you in the newsroom, right? That's kind of the forecast of this weatherman. What would you think of this weatherman that gave you that forecast? What would you kind of consider him? Was was he being mean to tell you about the storm or unkind? Was he being unfair to you? No, what what was he doing? He was actually being quite gracious to you to tell you beforehand, here's what's going to happen. Out of all these houses he could talk about, he lets you know about yours. And so what would be the wise thing for you to do if you got that kind of forecast? You would go home and you would probably, wherever that tree was going to, you might even cut the limb off this afternoon, you'd get on it. That car is not going to be placed where you had it. You're going to move it. You're going to do things because you expect this is coming and the storm is coming. And you can prepare for it now. I, in a similar way, Jesus, in what we read, he's laying out for his disciples a tribulation forecast, if you will. It doesn't look good, does it, from what we've read. It actually looks quite terrible. And though they can't, the disciples cannot change the facts of what's going to go on and what's coming. Uh, they can prepare because God has graciously told them in advance. Because God cares for his own. His words in Mark, they're actually loving and gracious to prepare His own, His chosen ones, for the great storm of tribulation. Last week, as Madeline's picture was up there, we were looking at Jesus and His disciples and this instruction of Jesus, kind of these multi-layers of these days of birth pains coming in the verses 1 through 13 of this chapter. He was saying, see that no one leads you astray and don't be alarmed. Be on your guard. Don't be anxious to speak when you're on trial. Uh, Endure to the end for the sake of Christ. Really endure, persevere for the sake of the one Jesus who has called you. And now we come to these verses, 14 through 23, with a similar message of being on guard, being prepared, ready for what's ahead. And Jesus sheds more light, however more questions will probably arise and do arise as we read what's ahead for the follower of Jesus. Uh, Verse 14, we're going to look at a little more in depth or try to, really forms the heading and the title of this storm coming. It's a storm of abominations. So look at verse 14. It says, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. And then he goes on, let those in Judea flee the mountains and so forth. How do we understand this phrase, this abomination of desolation? We're going to try to dissect it, and we're going to uh, look at a few things here. But just let's. Sometimes when I get to these, I like to just take the words by themselves. So, abomination. You look it up. You, if you're you got an iPad, you can hold it, and the definition just comes up. Uh, it's probably what we'd expect: very bla- bad or unpleasant. That's one definition. They say perhaps beastly or away from human. I think of abominable. The, the only thing I can I think of when I think of that, I think of R- Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer, the abominable snowman, right? That's kind of what we're thinking. He was kind of a, he was a beastly type person. This guy is not him. He's, no, he's not a cute Christmas monster. This is abomination. This is, this is uh, really described the abomination of desolation. That's what helps us, that next word, desolation. I think the idea here is that something sacred, something holy, is made unholy. It's tainted with this abomination coming to it. Uh, One resource I have says, quote, that which God detests and which causes something to be abandoned or left desolate. So something detestable enters a holy place like the temple or a sacred space, and by its entrance, it makes that space uh, that was holy, it makes it detestable and therefore desolate. can't go there anymore. So at this point, whomever or whatever the abomination is, when it enters a place, it makes desolate because of the the effect of unholiness it has on the place. All right, that's just trying to look at the words. Now, hopefully that helps a little bit, and we're going to ha- just have to settle. You're going to have to settle with me for some general <laughs> answers today. If we're going to get specific, I'm probably not... Your guy, But we're going to try our best to, to understand what's being said here or maybe try to get the overall idea. But I think a helpful place, and we're going to camp out here a bit, is the book of Daniel. I want you to turn there, the Old Testament book of Daniel. This is where we find this phrase uh, at least, I believe it's at least maybe it's just three times different places. But I want you to turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 9. We'll, we'll look at verse 25, and we're going to go probably a few other places today, but we'll try to camp out here and try to give understanding. I, want, I love when the Bible it's, is its own commentary. You can go to other places, and it helps us. It may not give us the specific answers. Who is this? where These sorts of things. But it gives us some ideas. So we're going to look at verse 25, but just to give a little context before this is uh, verse 16, really. Uh, in chapter 9, Daniel has been reading the book of Jeremiah. And he has been brought to confession of the sins of his people, Israel. Look at, look at Daniel 9, verse 16. I just want to read through 19 here to get a flavor of what's going on before we understand these. He's, he's saying this, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins... And for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes, see our desolations. Are you, are you hearing some of this? In the, the desolate, this sin has infected the people and the place. Um, the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. The Jewish people at this time, they've already, time of writing of Daniel, they've already been exiled by God for their wickedness, which made the land desolate. And it's in this context of confession that these visions are revealed to Daniel. Look at verse 24. Um, No, I think it's 23. Verse 23, Beginning of your pleas for mercy. This is um, Angel Gabriel speaking to Daniel. A word went out. And I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. You see what's behind this this forecast? And even we can look at it and mark this. You're greatly loved. Here's understand this vision. Now, you get to verse 24, you get into weeks. 70 weeks, 62, one week and a half, those sorts of things. We just don't have time to sort this out. And it's really a challenge for me to even understand where do these You can write it out? I encourage you to do it, and, and, and search that out. But let's look at verse 26. Just kind of bear with me, but skim through that and come to verse 26. And that's, this area will help us get closer to this phrase we're trying to figure out. So 26, Daniel 9, "And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing." And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant. Who is he? I think it's this prince. He shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations bad, unpleasant, unholy thing, shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now the nearest fulfillment, what you'll read to Daniel's visions, was Antiochus Epiphanes. Or Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a Syrian ruler, ruled about 167 B.C. So roughly 167 years, give or take, before Christ comes on the scene where and and a little further where we're reading in Mark here. So this is before Jesus' earthly days. This Antiochus, or Antiochus Epiphanes, enters the temple, and he stops the regular burnt offering. And here's what the ESV Study Bible says about about what happened when he came into the temple. It says they, quote, set up an altar or idol devoted to Zeus, Jupiter, in the temple. That's what was going on, 167 B.C., shortly afterward offered up sacrifices, likely swine, which was a no-no for that place on the altar. The Greek for this expression is applied to this action of Antiochus IV, what we're talking about, and is the background for Jesus' prediction of the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. So here you've got a, a near fulfillment of this Antiochus Epiphanes coming into the temple area. You go, well, that looks pretty abominable, makes a place desolate. This time period where he was Antiochus, tensions grew among the Jews, eventually led to a revolt, the Maccabean revolt. You can learn there's so much history going on here, you can learn about that. But by sixty three BC, Rome ends up taking over and ruling over the Jews. And that's who ruling is ruling at the time where we're reading in Mark we've got a little bit of idea. Keep going in Daniel. Go to chapter 11, verse 31. You can read all through this. It's, there's lots of things to read about here that we're just not getting into. But thirty-one, verse 31, let's learn some more about this. Uh, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress. I think the hymn is looking towards this abomination, but looking towards Antiochus and shall take away the regular burnt offering, we read about that, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Look at these, there's two people going on here. Verse 33, And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, And many shall join themselves to them with flattery. Some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. Okay, we've got that. Now one more background. We're just kind of trying to piece together some things. Look at Daniel 12 now, and the last uh, couple of verses at verse 10. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Okay, though we may not understand all the numbers and times, I think we can see this near fulfillment of Antiochus epiphanies in the temple. It's near. And yet Jesus says in our passage in Mark, when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not be, I think we see in prophecy this near fulfillment. Okay, Antiochus, we see this. And then there's the far, and we're back to near and far again. And we're, So we're near, and there's an already to it, yes, but there's a not yet to it, that it's to be yet. I think this is intermingled in when we read prophecy like this. Before we leave Daniel um, 12, I want you to look at one phrase that we read. And it's in other places in Daniel, and it's quite fascinating. If you remember, when we read... And we're going a couple different ways. Mark chapter 13. We read verse 14 before we got here. If your hand's there, you can look at it. We're talking about the abomination of desolation. And then it seems like a parenthesis Mark, Jesus puts in there, let the reader understand. You saw that part of there. You go, what? Understand what? Or let the reader. I just find it fascinating that we see some of that back here in Daniel. We see this idea here. Look at verse 10 again, Daniel 12.10. Uh, none of the of oh, the last part, none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand there 's connections here uh, in verse or chapter eleven verse thirty three we saw that the wise among the people shall make many understand. Uh, you get a sense with all this information about an abomination going on, wickedness, seducing flattery there 's a remnant of those who Know their God. They're understanding the times. Even just look back, lastly, I know we're going, but back to chapter 9. If you're in Daniel, this is easy. Back to 9, verse 23. I did read that already. Again, what he says, this angel to Daniel, the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I've come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. I don't claim to understand it all, but I think there's a theme here that we learn and we take with us back into Mark. There is great tribulation. There's great trial coming. But those of God are given understanding. Maybe we don't understand all numbers, dates, those sorts of things. And I think there's a reason for that. There is a reason. But it's also this gift, this gracious gift of God to say the storm's coming. Do you understand? Do you see it? Yes, prepare, dear believer. And get ready. See what's going on. Okay. Hopefully that helps a little bit. We head back to Mark 13. And we are at the end of. Uh, get back there myself. Kind of at the end of verse uh, 14. Those in Judea flee the mountains. I'm not going to read all these. Um, Places where they go, but really the second half of verse fourteen, all the way to verse really nineteen, really just describe this effect of the abomination of this desolation. And what does it describe? I think it describes exceeding tribulation. There is exceeding tribulation, and so what's the call here? The call there's an urgency to flee from this tribulation. So up till verse nineteen shows really this urgency. Uh, people on roofs, don't go back down in the house. You're in the field, don't go back uh, for your cloak. It's going to be an awful time. Those pregnant or nursing. Jesus urges prayer that this doesn't happen in the winter time or in bad weather. It might say. Now again, we're we're looking, and I want to just take a kind of a, a little break and a pause and say, was this fulfilled? Did this happen somewhere in history that we're looking at? And there are different places you can look at it and say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so forth. Just a flyover of a couple of them. One was an emperor named Caligua uh, around AD 37, 41. That's just a couple years after Jesus. Uh, here's this Roman emperor. Uh, one commentator says he attempted to erect, erect statues of himself in the Temple of Jerusalem and have them worshiped as God. So here's this Roman emperor. He wants these statues to be built up around 40-ish A.D. That sounds like an abomination that makes desolate. It sounds like that, but it didn't happen. It didn't go through. It was stopped. So it wasn't a full fulfillment. So, but some could say, well, there. Others maybe, um, and there's a couple different ones, but one is uh, Jewish zealots that were zealous for their nation against the Romans. They took over the temple. Uh, this is around the years of the, the destruction of the temple in seventy A.D. So we're we're like forty or so years after Jesus. These zealots take over the temple. They have their own high priest. There, there's infighting within the temple, making the place desolate. Maybe it was the zealots at that point. Is that is that what's referred to? Maybe it's Rome when they finally took Jerusalem. In AD 70, and they entered and they had these standards with eagles. It was kind of like, I think, idols, really, that they carried before them. And where did they bring them into? The Holy Temple, making it desolate. And so, could that be? Yes. And then, but some will say, well, but by that time, nobody could flee to the mountains or do this sort of thing. And so, yes, but no. And it just kind of goes back and forth. None of these, I, I don't think, are a full fulfillment. Even by 135 A.D., there's another Jewish revolt. Um, another emperor had, a Roman emperor had set up, a, set up a temple of Jupiter where the temple had been. And needless to say, after that history, you can read. I mean, it's, just, it's a fought over land. There's bloodshed going on in that land, over that site even. And we see that thousands of years. But there's one other option, and I think it's most likely here that this abomination of desolation, as we're kind of looking in the section and what causes the people to run, that sort of thing, um, that he be a, a man of lawlessness, really the Antichrist. Uh, go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 for this. I realize we're going different places. That's what we've got to do. We need help uh, to understand things, and thankfully the Word of God is sufficient, even where we say I, I could use more paragraphs of understanding. We say it's sufficient. Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I'm just going to read this chunk. And uh I think there is yet here a coming abomination, desolation, really an antichrist. See if you see this as we read through this. And again, debate can exist, but look through this. It says uh, in Verse 1, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. They're you know, asking, has it come? Is it here yet? Don't be easily swayed. Verse 3, let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. I'll just read the whole section. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Now this is interesting. Here's this this man of lawlessness, and yet Paul says, verse 7, the mystery of law it's already at work. Do you hear that? There's already, and there's a not yet going on? Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing, by the appearance of His coming. That's our King. He's got this. It's taken care of. But yet, we're we're made aware of it here. Verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I think in here you hear this man of lawlessness, the abomination of desolation, and yet at the same time, and you could just make a note, Ephesians 2.2, 2, I think there's a, some connection there. We're just not going there for time, but Satan already at work in the world. Right now, the deceiver, the liar, the accuser, already, not yet. Back in Mark 13, then, we're still in our question: Has this day already come and gone? We might think, Has all this happened? Maybe some of this history, we missed it, something like this. I just, when you get to verse 19, um, I find it quite helpful. You just, the destruction listed here, is severe listen for verse 19 and i'm back in mark 13 for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that god created until now and never will be notice the tribulation exceeds that of anything since creation remember the flood that was pretty severe we haven't seen it that type of tribulation anything now or will be I think to me, reading this, the tribulation, I think it's seen, we can see it in the near, the destruction of Jerusalem, those things going on, and yet out further than that as well um, to a great tribulation at some point. But I also believe this to be a tribulation, a storm, if you will, that believers, the elect of God, will go through and won't escape out of. Look at verse... 20 if the Lord had not cut short the days no human being would be saved but for the sake of the elect whom he chose he shortened the days I hope you see in here this is really a verse of encouragement God is faithfully watching over his own he's faithful those in whom he has chosen to call to himself he's watching over them now there's things in this verse I, I can't explain. I don't understand. No human being would be saved if th- these days are cut short. Uh, shortened days of salvation are part of the salvation of the elect. Just how does this all work? I, I can't explain that. But I think there's somewhat of a picture here of, of a type of persevering faith through tribulation, through suffering for the believer, the elect of God. He will carry them through. It's not just a faith that says, when I was six, I prayed a prayer, or I did this when I was young, or I did that one thing. It's a persevering faith all the way through to the end. That's, I think, the biblical account of faith. That those of faith in Christ, they persevere, their faith perseveres to the end. Not as a means of earning salvation, okay? We've got to be careful. We're not saying, yes, faith, you keep it up, you earn it, this sort of thing. It's earned by christ and his work but there's a perseverance to the faith given us that sees us all the way to the end all the way through tribulation the comforting news again is god is watching over his own he's caring for them he's going to see they finish the race they reach the end and they persevere so we go okay tribulation's coming i know my god it'll be okay The theme of election, those whom God has chosen for himself, continues in verses 21 and 22 then as we kind of come near the end here. Let me read 21 and 22. It says, And then if anyone says to you, Hey, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. It's kind of like, believers, do you have understanding? Don't believe it. Don't go after. Verse 22, For false Christs and false prophets, these pseudo-Christ, pseudo-prophets, will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, and here's a great two words right in your Scriptures, if possible, the elect. They won't. To lead astray, but they won't. We might ask here, well then, how will we know the Christ? What, how can we keep from being led astray? What if somebody says, here's the Christ, and we go, well, it kind of looks, I don't know, there's signs, this sort of thing. A couple, couple thoughts here, as we think of these verses, is for us to be weary, wary, I should say, of simply signs and wonders, but yet but we want to be students of the word. Does this match? Does this claim match with uh, the word? I've, it's fascinating here. If you look at these false Christs, these pseudo-prophets, who they're going after, they're, it, at least here it doesn't say they're going after the world. They're going after the elect. They're trying to lead the elect astray. That's who they're coming after. And so we can expect false saviors, false teaching as the church, but we can take heart. The elect cannot be led astray. Two great words. We already looked at them. If possible. It's not possible for the elect of God to be led astray. You know why? John tells us why in his chapter 10. Verse 14, Jesus states it. You think of this. I don't want to be led astray. I hope I don't. This sort of thing. We can worry. Listen to these words of comfort for his own. It says this in John 10, 14. Jesus states this. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. And then it goes on. There's verses 27 through 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of My hand. Therefore, if this tribulation be such that the world has never known, take heart, people of God, and endure, for God is protecting you and will carry you through. He's faithful through the flames. Praise the Lord. Verse 23 concludes, but be on guard. I've told you all things beforehand. Be on guard. God in His grace has told us what to expect. He's given us that weather forecast, if you will, that we were talking about. Do we get it all? Do we understand days, numbers, those sorts of things? No. Do we got all the timing down? It's this, it's here, it's there. I got this, and then it looks like this. No, some may be closer than others. I don't know. Um, but here's what we do know. God is certain in his plans. You know that? God's not up there trying to figure it out on a chart going, well, let's see, I did that, and then here's step A, and, but I got these numbers. He understands. He knows it. And he's certain about what will happen. And if he's certain and we're his own, we can be certain. We will get through the tribulation. And yet, dear child of God, prepare. For it is coming. We don't know when, but God is sovereign over it all. So like we said last week, we want to see even modern-day tribulation. You see news and things going on. See it not as a surprising turn of events that we as believers are going, I didn't see that coming. We know there's birth pains. We know there's trial and tribulation. And we know the impending judgment upon those that have not called on Christ as their Savior. There is not a hope for them. There's hope for those whom God has chosen. And who is that? Those that call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. There's hope for those ones. So I encourage you even today, call on Him for salvation. If you do not know, if you fear the tribulation, call on the one, cling to Jesus, who shed His blood that we might live with Him forever, even though we will face suffering and tribulation. God in His grace, He's told us beforehand. We can rely on Him, no matter what, for He's going to watch over His elect. Now, I'm going to go one more place with you. Th- this, if there's a way to end a sermon, it's with Scripture, and I love this passage as it relates to what we're talking about today. I want you to go back, not second Thessalonians, but first Thess- Thessalonians five. if we can say it right. First Th- Thessalonians five. <laughs> it's hard. And as we turn there, uh, worship team, if you guys want to come, come back up, we'll read this and then we're going to sing together. We're going to sing about the hope we have. But First Thessalonians chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 1 and ele- through 11. Take heart, O people of God. Paul says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Here's the encouragement. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, hear this church, hear this Bethany, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Let's pray. Father, may we be a church that builds one another up, that is not surprised when we see tribulating things, tribulation coming, suffering type things, uh, chaos type things going on in our world. Thank you that you've warned us, you've spoken to us through your word that we can be prepared and yet we can have great hope and great peace going into that tribulation that we have a great and mighty and faithful forever high priest whose name is Jesus Christ. May all in this room be looking to him alone, worshiping him alone for their salvation and life and joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.